Two matches, two losses, zero goals, zero pure strikers up top for the boys in gold. It's Nashville's second losing streak of the season, and it comes after a 10-match unbeaten run. You just heard Columbus's go-ahead goal. They win 2-0 over Nashville on the weekend. Montreal beats the boys in gold in midweek, midweek 1-0, and the boys in gold suddenly, after not losing for 10, are facing their second losing streak of the season. This is the Club and Country podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. And I'm Wes Bowling, who was Nashville SC's play-by-play radio guy and color commentator in each of its first three seasons in Major League Soccer. No Tim today. He is a taking, I think, maybe his first absence in the history of the show, so uh, he certainly (laughs) more than earned that right. Uh, So it's a solo show today, but with your help, we have a poll that you participated in that asked uh, what Nashville needed most in a number nine, and I think launched some pretty nuanced discussion there. The the answer might seem obvious, but I think the discussion behind it uh, had some particularly good insight that we'll talk about today. Also, gold nuggets from Nashville's losses. And then as we get into the mailbag, we'll assess the transfer market for Nashville SC and also talk about the tactical decisions that Gary Smith made without Fafa Pico and Jacob Schaffelberg available to him. Of course, those were Nashville's most noteworthy acquisitions in the offseason, solidifying Schaffelberg's full-time contract after bringing him in on loan last season. And Fafa Pico, of course, the... uh, the signing made as well in the offseason. Without their speed, without their threat, and without Teal Bunbury available up top, Nashville struggled to generate attack, and we'll assess how they did up top and along the back line where there were some personnel changes as well. So a busy show today, despite the fact that it's a monologue. We'll break it up with some highlights here and there and some comments from Gary Smith so you're not just hearing my voice the whole time. But, of course, one thing that I love to talk about is ML Rose, funny story, Uh, my wife was putting our two-year-old to bed. Those of you who are regular listeners know that Tim and I are both in uh, full-time quote-unquote dad mode in addition to our our full-time jobs and uh, and podcast lives. And my wife was putting putting Cameron to bed, and he has his favorite toy. It's a chicken he calls Little Chicky. We bought it at Costco. Always buy your kids the cheap toys, by the way. They're the ones they fall in love with. Nothing fancy, nothing monogrammed. They're just going to spill stuff on them. Uh, anyway, get them the cheap stuff, and uh, and they love that. Uh, so he's playing with Little Chicky, and he looks at uh, at his mom, at my wife, and says, Mommy, Little Chicky likes to go to ML Rose and see the owl and drink B-E-E-R. And he spelled beer. Now, I have... I don't think ever once said the word beer to him. It's not something we're hiding from him. We just call it mommy and daddy's juice and make sure he knows not to drink it uh, pretty much every night. But uh, I don't know where he learned to spell beer or where he heard the spelling of beer. You know, he's two. He's just repeating at this point, right? He's a tape recorder. No idea where that came from. But uh, anyway, the the brand awareness of ML Rose in our household is very strong. And uh, it, was, it was great to hear that. ML Rose, of course, is the place to go for... Your game day experience, finally a home match coming up after a couple straight on the way, uh, in a row, uh, on the road that is. And uh, now DC United coming to town this weekend, a chance to renew your uh, uh, familiarity with ML Rose. We know many of you send pictures from the restaurant uh, and uh, tweet at us about that wonderful restaurant. And the great 
thing is it's not just a restaurant to go to before matches. There are plenty of restaurants in that area, but it's become the restaurant for so many of you, the go-to. Even as I listen to uh, other podcasts on the 440 Sports Network, Emil Rose is referenced there as a key part of the infrastructure around the stadium and a great place to spend your game days. So whether you are two years old and talking about Emil Rose all the time, primarily because they have an owl, (laughs) again, he loves animals, uh, or whether you go and Uh, Drink some B-E-E-R or something stronger before or after matches or during the week. We uh, certainly would encourage you to consider ML Rose as your game day and weekday destination. It is uh, the best place to go in Nashville for a good burger and a good beer. All right, let's move on to the early shout. That was Montreal's goal, courtesy of Apple TV. The boys in gold lost in Quebec on Wednesday. By the way, I'm currently in Quebec at the cottage if my audio sounds just a little bit different. Uh, Montreal a 1-0 winner over Nashville. Montreal unbeaten at home, in fact, unblemished completely at home in their last uh, last five. Uh, so they're, they're rolling right now, and the Nashville goes to Columbus, a match that I think we all knew was going to be a tall order with limited personnel. And sure enough, Columbus gets a 2-0 win. They go up early. Uh, thanks to a Jack Mayer own goal, and then, or sorry, the Jack Mayer own goal solidified it late in stoppage time, but they went up early uh, and were able to to hold on. And so Nashville now facing a losing streak. Uh, not what they expected, I think, after going unbeaten in 10 straight. Some gold nuggets from the loss. It's just the second time that Nashville has been shut out in consecutive losses, both this season and ever. It had never happened in club history uh, before the New England and Cincinnati losses earlier this year. New England on the road, Cincinnati at home. So now it's happened twice uh, this season and twice in club history. But after that first streak of futility, Nashville responded by being shut out uh, just once uh, in the stretch before last week. They lost just once in that span, that 2-1 setback at NYCFC. And I think until they continue to struggle, especially when they get bodies back and when they return home, I think we can still see moments like last week as an aberration. I think we can still learn things uh, from it. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit in our striker discussion in just a moment. Uh, namely, the thing we need to learn is that that Nashville does need more bodies up top. You know, everybody's going to deal with injury issues. When you trade C.J. Sapong and you're that much thinner at the striker spot until Bunbury's injured, then you're forced to choose between essentially Ethan Zubak or playing somebody out of position. And we saw that Gary Smith opted in both cases to go out of position and play Jacob Schaffelberg first alongside Hani Mukhtar up top and then to go with Luke Hawkinson. Both, in both cases, I think looking for speed and dynamicism and the ability to play off Hani uh, in lieu of hold-up play. And in both cases, obviously, it didn't pay off for the Nashville attack. More on that in just a moment, but let's go to Gary Smith and hear him talk after that Columbus match about the futility up top and how that was what shot Nashville in the foot against Montreal and then again against the crew. I don't want to overlook what the group's already achieved and the position we're in. And we're always going to hit a little bit of a road bump. And, and I think we have we have done that. And some of some of that has been forced upon us through um, the Gold Cup and, and some of the guys that have gone away. And to be perfectly honest, some very, very important pieces to our group. The likes of Jacob and, and uh, Fafa have made so much difference in, in our front line. To not have any of that pace has, has, has really caused a few problems and issues. 
mean, I don't think any of us are going to argue with what Gary's saying there, and the numbers bear that out. Just 0.4 expected goals against Columbus compared to 1.77 for the crew. Uh, was pleased to chat with uh, with Valer uh, on the match preview after Montreal and leading into Columbus and predicted there that Nashville was probably going to tighten their approach for the Columbus match. And then that was probably appropriate to do without Fafa, without Schaffelberg. But we saw the consequence of that, which is that if you give up an early goal, as Columbus has want to score, especially at home with the talent they have, then you're behind the eight ball and you're having to generate without a whole lot of options to do that generating. But I will ask you, what other option did Gary Smith have there? I don't think there was much of one. The, the other option is to play Ethan Zubak up top, obviously, and I think we could see some wisdom in that decision in playing off Honey Mukhtar in a bit of a more traditional way. But I think in both cases, Gary probably made the value judgment that Schaffelberg and Hawkinson gave him a little more in the attack. Uh, than did Zubak, and he knew he had Schaffelberg for one match of the two before Schaffelberg was going off to gold. Going to go off to Gold Cup play. You've seen Jacob and Hani play off each other really well throughout the season, usually in the waning moments. But I think we also saw that against Montreal. Nashville led the expected goals count against the artists formerly known as the Impact, and just couldn't convert. Uh, Jacob Schaffelberg, just one shot, 0.3 XG on that opportunity, so a pretty decent opportunity. There was also another opportunity where Hani sent a ball in, and Schaffelberg, uh, for maybe the first time this year, was half a step slow uh, and uh, couldn't quite get there, maybe a little too much weight on that pass. So it was a calculated gamble that Gary Smith made, but he was always doubling down on the fact that his defense could be solid enough. And unfortunately for this Nashville team, the defense conceded three goals in those two matches and continues to concede. Uh, in fact, if you look back, and I'm scrolling through football ref right now, Nashville has now conceded at least one goal in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Yes, I'm counting on the radio. This is great, great podcast content. Nine straight matches, they've conceded at least one goal. The good thing is they've only conceded one goal in each of those games except for the Columbus loss, when, of course, they conceded two. They need to get back to clean sheets, and they need to as soon as Saturday against D.C. United. But the gamble this season has been to open things up a bit, to know you're probably going to concede more often than not, and to trust that your attack is good enough, open enough, uh, Hani Mukhtarish enough to get the wins. And seven of those last ten, that was that, that gamble worked out. Uh, now, of course, it has not. And uh, and you know, the result of Teal Bunbury being down, Fafa and Schaffelberg being down, means that that you know you have to be able to tighten things up defensively. And Nashville's not really been great at that uh, in recent matches. So uh, that's, I think, the problem. But if you want some reassurance as to what's to come, and you look at history for how we can expect Nashville to approach Saturday, here's some reassurance for you. Nashville, in its history in Major League Soccer, has never lost three straight matches. And it's going to happen one day. I don't think that D.C. United coming to Jodis Park is the time that it happens, even with Nashville down some personnel. Uh, D.C.'s average on the road, sixth in the East in road points per match, not bad. I think we saw a bad D.C. team the past couple of years that under Wayne Rooney has become better. I, I still wouldn't call them great. Uh, of course, they, they drew with Nashville 1-1 up in the nation's capital earlier this year. But then you look at the fact that Nashville's dropped just five points at home all season. They've never lost to this D.C. United team. I like Nashville to win Saturday or at least get a hard-earned point. I think if you told me it was a scoreless draw, I would not laugh in your face. I think that's certainly possible. 
but I still would like Nashville to get three points and uh, you know use its counterattacking skill, maybe even return to the diamond now with some uh, some bodies returning in defense last game. You're at home. Uh, you're matching shape with D.C. I, I think I see uh, the boys in gold taking three points. Now, the other topic I want to discuss today that you talked about some in the mailbag and that I queued uh, some discussion about on Twitter was Nashville's new number nine. There have been rumors and speculation and nothing we're going to report here today about who's going to come in and fill that role. But I think we can all agree based on the reporting that's out there, based on how the club has approached the situation publicly, that a number nine is a top, top priority uh, for this Nashville team this season, mid-season transfer signing. Of course, they've cleared up an international slot to make that happen. I don't think they would have traded CJ Sapong if they were not at least reasonably and maybe even very confident that they had somebody coming in in a manner of months to uh, to replace him. And so I think we can expect Nashville to make a number nine signing, whether or not as a DP, and of course that slot is available after the buyout of Akiloba, or whether it's a TAM player. And so I asked you guys, what was the most important attribute that you wanted to see out of that number nine? And knowing that, that you want a combination of a bunch of things, right? You want somebody who can fit well into Gary's system, who can be a, a hold-up play wizard. I think that's important, especially because you want to set Hani Mukhtar free uh, to continue scoring goals. But also, of course, you want somebody who can score goals and be a good raw finisher. And I think, ideally, you bring in somebody who has MLS experience. I think the biggest problem that we have seen, the biggest complaint that we have had about Ake Loba and Yonder Cadiz is that it took them significant time to get acclimated. Now, in Yonder Cadiz's case, it's because he had not played much soccer, if any, for several months, and he had to get back in shape. That's on him, but it's also a unique challenge. Akiloba had not played significant minutes, but was on a roster in Monterey, came in, and obviously we know for a number of reasons was not a fit. But I think it is absolutely key that whoever comes in at least fit inside the framework of the starting 11 for this team, even if they're not pouring in goals. And so I think MLS experience is of particular value here. You know, we've dropped the name Adam Buxa on this show before. Taylor Twelman has reported in the past that he would be shocked if Buxa wasn't in the mix for an MLS uh, transfer sometime this summer. I think that's an ideal type of person. Uh, we've not seen smoke around that name here lately connected to Nashville, but I think he's the template, right? You've seen other players mentioned that also have MLS experience, and I think that to me is your antidote to the problems that you've suffered. Uh, in your past two striker transfers. And you can add Rodrigo Pinheiro on the wing to that as well as a guy who had talent but didn't have, in that case, the MLS experience or the tactical knowledge or perhaps the off-field maturity to fit it. So I asked what your choice was between those three, knowing that all three could be valuable, and especially the first two, hold-up play and finishing skill. Uh, 101 of you responded. Thank you pretty strong result for the fact that I tweeted this out at this point just over an hour ago. Uh, finishing skill, 84%. Hold-up play, 13%. MLS experience, just 3% for a top quality. And I'm here to tell you, I think this is fairly intuitive, I would order it in the same way. Uh, but I want to read some of your comments uh, tied to that. And then I want to make an argument that we really shouldn't discount those other two attributes as well, even if they're not the most important. I think they're pretty crucial for what Nashville needs out of this signing. 
Uh, Nashville SC Stats says, in a DP striker, I think it's fair to expect finishing quality and hold-up play. MLS experience is preferred, so they can hopefully contribute to our trophy chase immediately. Okay, see, right there, I hadn't read that that comment directly uh, until just now. But it basically sums up my opinion as well. That MLS experience to me is uh, perhaps the, uh, the ignition to the kerosene that is finishing quality and hold-up play. That you want that immediate impact, that that MLS experience is going to to light those things up and, and make them more immediate versus a slower a slower burn. Is that metaphor halfway decent? I don't know that it is. Uh, Chris Ivey, whose work, of course, we respect so much, Broadway Sports Media, says, finishing skill. If it was just about hold-up play, there wouldn't be much need to upgrade from Teal. However, a successful signing will need to be able to do both, finishing a skill and hold-up play, in order to break into Gary's lineup, work off of Hani, and add their own added quality in the final third. And that's that's also, I think, a point that I want to make as well, is that to work your way into Gary Smith's lineup to gain his trust, you have to be able to do the blue-collar stuff. Uh, if you are if you come in and score right away, you know Gary Smith's going to keep playing you. I, I don't think we doubt that. But to, to give Hani Mukhtar what he needs and to unlock what, what Hani wants to do for this team, that hold-up play's vital. And, and I think more immediately in the first five to eight matches that this person is on the roster, I think hold-up plays actually may be more important, knowing that the finishing skill is still vital and this person needs to score goals. But I would rather, I think, see this signing have more assists than goals in the remainder of 2023. As long as those assists are ample, I mean, you know, not, I'm not talking like three assists and two goals here. As long as both numbers are solid, I think more assists than goals because it means you're setting Hani Mukhtar free. And I continue to believe that that Hani Mukhtar's quote-unquote disproportionate impact on this team's attack is actually a sign of the attack's health and not that the attack is lacking, especially if results obviously are, are good. This team's goal is to unlock Hani Mukhtar. It is not to lead the league in scoring. <laughs> uh, the way they win games is to unlock their, their MVP, number 10. And so I think, obviously, a number nine needs to score. Um, but I think hold-up play, at least initially when they get here, is going to probably be just as important. Uh, and in the long run, then the finishing, of course, is crucial. And you see why in matches like Columbus. Um, I think that that's definitely a, a valid point. Uh, in terms of, you know, if it was just about hold-up play, there wouldn't be much need to upgrade from Teal. I see that. I mean, I think there are other needs there. I think Teal, you know, is obviously progressing in in age, you know, has had some health questions a good bit last year and this year. There are other reasons to upgrade from him. Uh, I think you can get even better hold-up play, but that is something that is certainly a hallmark of Teal's game and, and a reason that he continues to earn the trust. And honestly, the reason that C.J. Sapong was traded, <laughs> I think, is that you had two players who were relatively similar and Teal was doing the work better in complimenting Hani Mukhtar. So a valid point, even if I might have a small quibble with it. Uh, Brian Johnson says they need goals, been better this year, but that's what would take them up a level. Yeah, uh, you know, I think in a way, I think, you know, again, adding somebody who can let Teal be more of a depth player, who plays like Teal, but has a little more scoring punch, I think could be the template for sure. Stacey Lofton, he'll need to hold the ball up so we can get our pace involved, but other, oh, above all, we need goals from our number nine, and then Denzel ranking them as I think most of us would rank them. Finishing skill number one, hold up play number two. MLS experience number three. So the, the thing I want you to take away from this conversation is my thesis that in the near term, let's not sleep on hold-up play as an important way to unlock Connie Mukhtar and keep him hot. 
to show that Hani can still and should still be the focal point of the attack, and to gain Gary Smith's trust that this is the type of player who can play the kind of game that Gary wants. I think none of us would say Nashville's going to try to bring a pure poacher who's never going to get involved otherwise in the attack. That's not what's going to fit. That's not who Mike Jacobs will pursue. And, you know, Mike doesn't go to Gary and say, give us a list of players you want. There's a dialogue there, but what Mike gets from Gary is, quote, a positional profile. What's the kind of player you want? And we're going to go hunt that down. I think you can argue that Aki Loba was a breakdown of that system to an extent. But I think the general you know, process has worked really well for Nashville throughout its, its expansion building process and, and now as it progresses into being an established team. And I'm really eager to see how it works in, in this situation. Uh, before we get to the mailbag and talk just a little bit about uh, personnel, Gold Cup, uh, and uh, transfer stuff, uh, a reminder, ML Rose, your place to go for game days and for any day that you want a good burger. And uh, the burger of the month, we've talked about it before, but just to refresh, the Cacio e Pepe burger. And I'm looking at a picture of it right now next to a picture of a, of a beer. They recommend uh, pairing with a local Pilsner. The Cacio e Pepe burger, a collaboration burger with their favorite pizza spot, Dicey's Pizza Tavern. It's a 100% all natural beef patty, Pecorino Romano spread, arugula, peppercorn aioli, and a drizzle of olive oil served on a toasted French baguette. It, it, you know, I think that's what I like about ML Rose is there's a blend of accessible and gourmet. Uh, you know, you're not gonna to to find you know stuff that that you you, you know you're not gonna find escargot. You're not gonna you know, find stuff that's so out of reach that that it feels snobby and and foodie. The first thing they want to do is fill you up and make you happy. But they're gonna elevate the burger concept with things like the cacio e pepe the habanero, the Belgian, which is, is my low-key favorite. I know the animal burger is like my go-to, but the Belgian is right up there with it because of the garlic aioli, the onion straws. The, the flavors they put together are gourmet, even as the menu items themselves are very accessible. You can go have a beer with a buddy and feel like it's just a quality place to get a beer and a burger, or you can take your significant other and enjoy a date night. Uh, and and feel like you're getting a, a gourmet burger experience and and not just uh, you know some some dive on the side of the road. Uh, so ML Rose, the place to go, Eighth uh, Avenue, Capitol View, Mount Juliet, uh, and West Nashville near uh, near my house, where again my son likes to go and learn to spell beer. Apparently, I don't know. Uh, On to the mailbag now. Uh, thanks for hanging out and listening to uh, to me continue to talk in monologue form. It'll be a short mailbag, and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, Finn Breland says, We played a large part of 2022 without Fafa and Schaff, and with five at the back, and yet the last two games have looked disorganized and lackluster. How much do we attribute this to no hold-up striker, and shouldn't we look better when we go to five at the back due to familiarity? I think the biggest culprit in these past two matches, both of which Nashville did play a back five, was the lack of a pure striker. Teal Bunbury's injury meant that Nashville didn't have a traditional nine in the 11 to play off Hani Mukhtar. And again, part of that was, uh, you know, by choice. Uh, Ethan Zubak didn't start. Uh, Luke Hawkinson was the highest player up the pitch for Nashville against Columbus. Uh, and I, I don't think that's something you probably want. I think that's a sign that maybe your attack is, um, is not going to go off in that game. Hawkinson has a role to play on this team as an effective wing. We've seen him make some some clutch plays before. Of course, had the brace against Toronto in 21 to, to lead a come-from-behind victory. But he's not the guy you want up top alongside Hani. Uh, I think he's the type that gets isolated in those situations, and he did. He didn't manage a shot, 
um, only touched the ball 12 times. What I would have liked to have seen is if you're playing those two up top, have Hawkinson be your build-up guy and Hani just be your number nine basically in that match and trust his raw skill. Instead, Hani found himself playing a little bit further back in the attack than usual. And a, a, one other sign that the Nashville's attack is not having the best game is when Hani touches the ball a lot. Uh, against Columbus, he touched the ball 61 times, second most for him all year. In the seven games where Hani touched the ball the most this season, NSC has just won twice. And the reason you want him touching the ball just a little bit less, of course, you still want him really involved. But if he's touching the ball more, it's probably because he's further back in midfield as part of the buildup, trying to get things going in the engine room. And what Hani needs is a healthy and busy engine room to provide the ball to him in more dangerous areas, even if it's less often um, throughout the course of the match. You know, I think the sweet spot is him touching the ball maybe 45 to 50 times. Once you get up into the 60s, you're coming close to leading the team in touches, which means you're probably trying to create too much in midfield. And you know what? Maybe that's a better thing for him to do if there is a pure number nine that he's playing off of and serving, but especially in the absence of that number nine and with that number nine only getting 12 touches, not taking a shot, that's not the model for success, especially when you go down early and you're really trying to uh, to, to go full speed in the attack. Um, Schaffelberg up top against Montreal was brighter. I mean, Nashville won the XG count in that game. It was still just over one expected goal. It's not like they were, you know, threatening to score three or four times, but I liked that better. I think Schaffelberg's speed, strong, uh, his ability to come off the wing and kind of play a, a finishing role we've seen uh, be effective in bursts uh, throughout the season, especially, again, late in matches. And I think Gary was relying on the fact that, that Schaffelberg's speed could uh, maybe compensate for some of the lack of pure finishing skills that, that you'd expect more from a number nine than from a wing. The combination play with Hani was good. Still only mustered one shot, though, uh, from Schaffelberg. And so I think these games were statements for this team. And this team's made a lot of positive statements this year, and I think we'll continue to. But this was a negative statement. This was a statement that they need another nine, another number nine in the mix. Whether or not that number nine is elite, somebody who can do the job, but I think they're obviously pursuing uh, players who are elite and can make immediate impact. Now let's talk about the back five. Let's talk about the other end of that equation from Finn, and I think that plays into the, the you know disorganization, as he calls it, and I would not disagree with that assessment. I think the biggest issue is breaking outside the mold. I mean, you saw this team go to the diamond and be virtually untouchable, scoring, you know, two, three goals a game, uh, being a little more open in defense, but being willing to do that because, you know, your personnel in midfield is leading a very strong, aggressive attack that gets the wings really high as well. This team's been really effective in a diamond, but I don't think it adjusted well to the new formation, which I think was necessitated in part against Montreal by Walker's absence. I think without Walker in the mix and without McNaughton, you're left in a place where you've, you really need to have three center backs to compensate when Jack Mayer's your only guy that you'd really normally start on a regular basis. So Dan Lovitz moves in to left center back with Taylor Washington in Lovitz's role. We've seen Nashville do that before. That's not too troubling. Uh, Josh Bauer gets a start. Uh, good for Josh. Happy for him. I think he's gaining an experience, and we've seen him have some effective matches with McNaughton out. Uh, this was not the most effective, uh, and you saw Nashville, of course, concede. And then Walker comes back in against Columbus, and I'm not surprised that Nashville kept the five-man back line there, even with their three best center backs back and available for the team, McNaughton, Walker, and, uh, and Jack. 
because I think Gary likes to match Wilfred Nancy's shape. And we saw him do that against Montreal last year. Uh, last year? Two years ago? Both, I think? Yes. <laughs> they played him last year as well. Uh, Wilfred Nancy loves to play a, a three-man back line slash five-man, whatever you want to call it, spread the pitch and play a possession game. And I think Gary was banking on the fact that he could match that shape and his players were just better. Uh, and that it did give him a little bit more of a conservative posture on the road without Fafa available, and uh, it just didn't pay off. Uh, Montreal, you know, untouched in five at home, un unbeaten, uh, but also haven't even con like dropped a point. Uh, Gary wanted extra beef in the back, and it just didn't pay off. Uh, so I, I would agree in the lack of organization. I think part of it is that up top, Nashville didn't really have the answer it usually would without Teal around to play off of Hani, and that seeped its way toward the back line, and then you had personnel shifts and issues with Walker being out against Montreal. And then, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think in this case, you, you cut the head off of the team, and the rest of the body didn't quite you know, know how to respond in an optimal way. Nashville SC stats with our second of three questions today. We keep talking about incoming transfers, but do you think we'll have any outgoing transfers this summer? Uh, it's a good question. I think it's unlikely. Um, and I think it's unlikely because I don't think Nashville has a surplus at any one position. The only place that I think you could see that as a possibility is a place where, <laughs> incidentally, they're thin at the moment, but I think generally have a surplus, and that's on the wing. I think when you have a Luke Hawkinson, when you have an Alex Mule, two guys who really have, have earned the respect and adoration of the coaching staff and who are playing right now, but who you know aren't always going to be in the eleven. When Schaffelberg and Pico are around, with Randall Leal back especially, that's the only area where I think you could you could say there's a surplus. And even then, I'm not sure those guys, meaning Hawkinson and Wheel, are valued enough by other teams that you're going to get the return you want. And it's not just about getting good return. It's about what you're going to do with that return. Um, and I don't know that an in-league trade is where Nashville goes um, this transfer window. I think mean, it's possible maybe they make a move for a central mid who's steely, who knows this league. I think they've got sufficient game to probably get that done without having to unload somebody. So the only three reasons that you're going to think about trading somebody away, number one, to maximize your game for an in-league trade, which again, I don't see a blockbuster level trade that's going to require that level of game that you need to sell somebody. Number two is to clear an international slot. But I think when you look at Nashville's international players, I don't think there's one that you would identify and say, yeah, they're, you know, they're on the chopping block. I think all those players are staying. You've already got the one slot that you need, uh, and you can always purchase more uh, you know, with, with GAM if you need to. It's better than having to trade somebody for it. And number three, and this is, I think, maybe the only one that you could say is really possible here, and that's if you're getting rid of an asset that someone else values more than you do. You know, I love the Arsene Wenger mentality that every player has a price, no matter how valuable they are to you. If you get a price that is exceedingly above what you believe is market value for that player, you make the move and you trust your ability to evaluate and reinvest. That doesn't apply to Hani Mukhtar. But, but when it comes to you know, to players who were lower in Nashville SC's roster, there's always a possibility that, that, you know, another team really values a player that's not getting optimal time in your team. So there's, there's always that chance, but I, I just don't see it. Uh, I think Nashville needs everybody that it has right now. Uh, and I think the more likely move is to keep everyone around. Uh, and that if you do bring in that DP number nine or a central mid, then you just bump someone down to Huntsville for regular minutes. You know, maybe Lawrence White goes back on loan, uh, for instance, uh, you know, as he did when uh, when Nashville had a, a full complement of center backs. You know, maybe Brian Anunga gets 
you know, full-time minutes in Huntsville to stay fresh for if Nashville needs him. Yeah, I think those are, those are examples, perhaps, uh, of what Nashville would do before they chose to trade somebody away. Always possible, and now that I say they won't, of course they're going to. Uh, Uncle Mad, if and when Nashville advances, er, nope, Freudian slip, if and when the U.S. men's national team advances to the knockout stage of the World Cup, could Walker or Shaq potentially be called in? He says, I seem to remember the Gold Cup has previously allowed post-group stage roster changes. Uh, according to my reading of the roster rules, not the case this year. Uh, the 23-man roster is set when the tournament starts. There was some allowance for injury replacement uh, before the tournament. Uh, of course, now the tournament has started with uh, the U.S. men's national team's 1-1 draw against Jamaica. Um, but even if that were not the case, I think Nashville would have been safe this cycle uh, with Shaq Moore being a bigger risk to be chosen than Walker Zimmerman because I think the plan was to use one set of players for Nations League and the other for Gold Cup. Shaq was not chosen for either. Walker played Nations League uh, after initially not being named to that roster. He cycled in, he played, uh, and uh, played well. And so he was not called up for Gold Cup. Uh, Shaq Moore not called up for either, and so uh, Nashville left in perhaps the surprising position of not having to surrender a player to uh, international call-up for the U.S. They do have three players, of course, in the tournament. Uh, Fafa Pico, Jacob Schaffelberg, and Anibal Godoy. Congrats to um, Pico and Godoy. Fafa Pico's Haiti beats Qatar in the first match of group play. Tim had speculated, and I agreed, that Haiti was likely to finish fourth in their group. Now, possibly to probably not. After a 2-1 win over Qatar, um, I ranted a bit on Twitter about this. Can we stop legitimizing Qatari soccer by inviting them to things? I know that they're floating, at least you know, last time, last Gold Cup, they floated a huge advertising deal through Qatar Air to... Uh, to CONCACAF and to Fox, and so that was part of their inclusion. But, you know, we know what we know about uh, Qatar's uh, repressive culture, civil rights issues there. They've hosted the World Cup. They did not show out in that World Cup, and I would imagine they were invited to the Gold Cup before that World Cup took place. But I think now we can phase them out, and they can be just another anonymous uh, team uh, out there internationally. Maybe we play them in a friendly every now and then, I guess, but uh, inviting them to continental competitions I think I'm done with that. I hope that that uh, CONCACAF is as well. Uh, so anyway, because Haiti beats Qatar, Panama, captained by Anibal Godoy, knocks off Costa Rica, uh, who did not call up Randall Leal, by the way. So Leal staying with Nashville, as was the case for the World Cup. Uh, recent international competitions, not a part of Costa Rica's mix at this point. Uh, and then Jacob Schaffelberg in Canada play against Guadeloupe uh, tonight at press time. Uh, and I am here in Canada and trying to find a way to watch it locally. So uh, we will see uh, what happens there. Maybe I'll just travel to Toronto and watch it. I'm sure that would go over well. Uh, there is one more uh, one more question here. Michael Johnson. Okay, so Nashville's officially unofficial nickname is the Coyotes. Should that be pronounced Coyotes or Coyotes? Um, east of the Mississippi River, it's Coyote. I will not hear any other argument. Coyote is if you're trying to sound like a cowboy. Uh, if someone on Broadway says Coyote, they're probably wearing a cowboy hat and they're probably not from here. Uh, coyotes. Now, I, I would I would argue, you know, it's something that's been embraced by corners of the Nashville SC media uh, and passed up to some MLS voices. I still don't see it as an organic enough nickname that it, you know I, that I'd even call it officially unofficial. You know, I don't mind it because I, I I want to certainly respect all comers and not shoot down a brainstorm for ideas for a nickname uh, of a team. I think the only qualification I would have is I don't want it to be team generated. I want it to be organic from either fans or media. And you see throughout the history of, for instance, college football, so many team nicknames come from 
media who are, you know, poetically covering a team. And so, you know, I think you think about like Alabama, the, the Crimson Tide, but the, the, you know, the Red Elephants were the nickname for the offensive linemen. And so they have an elephant now, just as an example. So I'm, I'm going to leave plenty of room for lore and tradition to build around a team, but I'm not ready to say yet that Coyotes is the, quote, officially unofficial nickname either. But if it is, and if that's what you want to call them, whether you're a media member, whether you're a fan, cool, do it. More power to you. And if it spreads, it spreads, and I'll, I'd embrace it too. Uh, but it's Coyotes, to be very clear. Uh, also, Yotes, not really feeling Yotes, sorry. Uh, I think that's that seems like you're working a little too hard for it. Again, with love to those who I know listen, who I am friends with, who cover this team. It's just a personal opinion. It's not any judgment. Uh, and and by the way, this um, this discussion was started by the League's Cup Twitter account, as many of you saw probably, saying that Nashville SC's nickname was The Music. Anybody know where that originated, where that came from? The Music? I mean, please don't stop the music. I think we could sing when Nashville's attacking, but I, The Music, I, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, that's that's news to me and to most of us. Um, I'll tell you the one that I tried to get to catch on again, being critical of myself here a little bit, because I think again, it wasn't organic. It was from me and it didn't catch on, but I'm going to lay it out here. Anyway, the Tri-Stars, I think it's strong. It has a link obviously to the state of Tennessee and, and, you know, to the North, you know, to the rather the East, the middle and the West grand divisions of Tennessee. You know, and if, if Nashville SC wants to be Tennessee's soccer team instead of just Middle Tennessee's, then I think that could be a strong statement, the Tri-Stars. Also, I like cities that sync up their sports color themes a little bit, and that would do that. The Preds have, have worn the Tri-Star on their jerseys. For this, for that reason, many of you would say, okay, then then it's copycatting. I don't think it would be in that case. I think it, it links up well. You know, the Titans have some star themes in their in their imagery as well. So I, I kind of like the Tri-Stars as a, as a nickname, knowing that I'm going to say that now, and you're either going to say, nope, don't like it, um, nope, too late, it's not going to catch on, or that sounds like a medical center, because, of course, uh, it is a, a group of hospitals as well in Middle Tennessee. Um, getting on to the final whistle now, my content recommendation would be to watch the smaller nations in Gold Cup. Uh, I think we're all going to uh, tune in to the U.S. Many of us are going to watch Canada uh, because of Schaffelberg's presence. Some may even tune in for Haiti to watch Fafa Pico, which is great. But, you know, one thing that I love about Gold Cup and about Nations League is that these are opportunities that these smaller nations didn't used to have, especially Nations League, to play each other and to build outside of a World Cup qualifying cycle. And you know, I really enjoy, for instance, that, that Nashville, I keep on calling them Nashville, that the U.S. is going to play St. Kitts and Nevis, um, and that they worked their way through the prelims to, to get to this. Guatemala playing Cuba, some powerful stories always on that Cuban team. Uh, I think it's a way to acquaint ourselves with different styles of play and with nations we wouldn't normally watch. And so I would encourage to, as this podcast loves to do, you know, go to the B side of the cassette, if you will. Um, you know, look a little deeper into some of these countries that you normally wouldn't watch, and not just when they're playing the U.S. or you know when you're rooting for them against Mexico, uh, but more generally, some of these stories are are really cool. You know, Guadalupe, for instance, playing against Canada, a, a surprise to uh, to get to this point, you could say, um, but they they qualify, they they get into the tournament. Uh, and now they have a chance, you know, at, at BMO Field to, to show off. 
Also, if some of you who followed Nashville SC and USL or still track USL, you'll see a lot of names that you recognize. Um, I saw a classic one for Trinidad and Tobago, Neville Hackshaw, former Charleston Battery player, who didn't know he was going to get mentioned on a Nashville SC podcast in 2023, but there he was. So my content recommendation, again, soccer as content. Uh, And how about Martinique, by the way? Martinique beating El Salvador in the preliminary round uh, to get three points in a gold cup. And currently they are uh, tied with Panama for top of the group. Uh, Those kinds of stories are great when the upsets happen. And I think the more that these small nations get opportunities to play, especially against each other, but even against the big guys, um, then the more they're able to build ways of playing and cultures and personnel schemes that enable them to compete. Uh, with teams that that are, you know, in El Salvador's case, was in uh, in the final eight for World Cup qualifying uh, this past cycle. As we move on now from the mailbag, wanted to share a clip from our sister podcast on the 440 Sports Network, the podcast I have long called my favorite show on the 440 Sports Network, including my own, and that is a clip from Lamestream Sports. Lamestream Sports looks into uh the media here in nashville culture of nashville political issues here in nashville at times and and really goes you know beyond sports to talk about those things but uses sports as the prism through which to talk about those issues it's a sports podcast but it's much bigger than that and this past friday they had uh, a couple of members of the band them vibes on names are alex and brother love them vibes a nashville based band uh but alex uh, one of the members of the band grew up as a Revs fan, followed the World Cup, followed Major League Soccer in its gestational days, and uh, used to go to Foxborough for matches all the time, and uh, cared about the Revs. However, he has seen the light after going to Geodis Park, and uh, prefers Nashville SC's environment to the Revs, to say the least. Here's a clip from that show. For me, um, you know, I, I do love the Titans, do love the Preds, but uh, I was really stoked when uh, Nashville got a MLS team. Uh, so in Nashville SC, they've been playing great. The stadium is amazing. You know, like I grew up, my, uh, you know, I'm a first generation American. My parents are from Brazil. So like it first thing as like playing sports with my dad, it was never catch. We were just kicking a soccer ball around, you know? Um, and when the MLS happened, this was right after the 1994 world cup, when the United States hosted the 94 World Cup and Brazil won uh, against Italy in the penalty shootout. It was amazing. And it, ba- all that. Baggio over the, Woo! over the, over the crossbar. Oh, man, yeah. I remember that. And uh, anyway, so like the MLS came to, you know, we had a league. And so one of the first teams was the New England Revolution. And we would go to games where the Patriots play and sell out the whole place. But when the Revolution would play, they'd be like, you know, less than a thousand people there. And, but when I go to games here and I see the stadium packed and raucous, it just feels the way soccer should feel you know when you see and it's so Nashville too which I love because like before the kickoff like someone's like ripping a solo you know what I mean it's just so Nashville I love it like it's they've they've mixed the spirit and culture of this city with the international flair of soccer and it's only going to get bigger Again, check out that episode of Lamestream Sports. It aired last Friday. Uh, Them Vibes, by the way, has an opportunity for you to get to know their music as well. An album release party July 1st at Basement East. And a uh, hard copy of their album is going to be out on July 1st as well. It's called Sonic Chameleonic. 
They can't get it digitally until September 1st. So go old school here. Listen to music the way it should be listened to. Uh, and uh, get that hard copy of that album July 1st. Uh, Basement East, that album release party. You get to hear them play. Um, and uh, you know what? If you if you noticed, we actually included a couple of their instrumental tracks on the beginning and the end of the show in lieu of our usual Moon Taxi. So um, just a another note in their favor. Again, Them Vibes album release party out July 1st. And uh, look for them at Jonas Park. They'll be the guys talking about how much better it is here than in New England. Uh, thanks for listening, especially listening to my voice for as long as you did. Uh, if you did indeed do that, and if not, then you're not hearing me say this and it doesn't matter. Uh, go to ML Rose. Check it out. Uh, it is just a gem locally. And even if you can't make it on game day, we know you many of you go to tailgates on, on game days themselves. Uh, but, you know, the West Nashville location is, is really tremendous near a residential area. Of course, Capitol View right down from the business district. I could walk there from my office and uh, have done that before. Love it. Uh, and then the uh, Mount Juliet location next to a really good uh, shopping area as well. Uh, so you can go out, run some errands, you know, then have a beer, have a meal with the family. And, and there's something for everybody, even if your family maybe isn't as soccer inclined. My wife's not a big soccer fan. I could easily convince her to go to ML Rose anytime, though. And uh, all the better if you're pre-gaming for a soccer match. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, follow us on Twitter. And as always, listen to the 440 Sports Network. Thanks and have a great rest of your week.